This morning I want to look at the wedding of Cana, John chapter 2, and uh, a brief passage with the first miracle that Jesus did in Galilee, so his first public ministry miracle. Um, it says, three days later, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was at a wedding feast in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited and were there. When the wine was all gone, Mary said to Jesus, they don't have any more wine. Jesus replied, Mother, my time hasn't come. You must not tell me what to do. <laughs> there are other translations that say, Woman, what, are you, what do you have? What do I have to do with you? Or something of like that. It, it seems quite harsh, but uh, I think every son has probably had some kind of conversation like this with his mom. Uh, <laughs> But it's, it's kind of amazing to me that um, she doesn't back off, uh, she doesn't press it, she understands the situation, she just goes on, tells the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. So there's a confidence in her heart that he's going to respond to her request, whether he's told her to back off or not. And there's something of the graciousness of God noted in this, or that she has an awareness of his destiny. She's already been told that he's going to do great things. She has an inkling of what his potential is. But in this situation, even though he's told her it's not time, she's going, yeah, he'll do the right thing. <laughs> and, and I love that idea that even though there, there are times when we're going, I don't know why he would step in here. I don't even know why I'm asking for this. But there's this confidence in the goodness of God that says, I'm going to ask anyway. And furthermore, for her, it's this awareness of, yeah, he may have said no, but um, he loves me. <laughs> or even taking it further, God, God, the sustainer of all life and has, holds all things together. And mom comes and says, I, I want you to change this. Okay. <laughs> There's something about that for our own prayers that takes on a significance. It says he's willing to listen and, and in a sense, turn events and work those, even in, including personal things. It's not going to change the history of the world to run out of wine at a wedding. But he's involved in it anyway. And that's what I, I just, I, I marvel at that. And when I, I look at it, there's another aspect of this too. It, it, let's go on. It, it says, um, there's six stone water jars that are used by people for washing themselves. And they each hold 20 to 30 gallons. Now, if you get a small barrel, a metal barrel, that's a 30 gallon. If you get the larger ones, they're 50. But to give us a perspective of how big these things were, because we're not used to clay pots being any more than decorative. But, you know... When we start talking about this, making more wine, if 20 to 30 gallons, if you say 25 just as an average, you're talking 150 gallons. 
That's a lot. It's just a lot. I don't care how many people are at the party. This story had a lot of problems for us teetotalers for money, <laughs> which I grew up in. I'll get to that later. Uh, but they, they take the jars and says, take some of it and give it to the man in charge of the feast, and they did. So they, they obediently do what he's asked them to do, even they're going, do you, do you realize what this came out of? And, you, and obviously... Jesus changes the elements. I mean, there's no carbon atoms in water, right? But there is in wine. And so when, when you start looking at this, you're going, okay, this isn't just a simple transition. But there is truly a miracle taking place here in, in regard to the elements of this. And I'm looking at it and going, I believe that. I believe that Jesus had the power to do that. In fact, his disciples put their faith in him after this event. So they're believing it as well. It's just, you know, it's incredible. But I, I want to I spend some time on this idea that of John the Baptist and Jesus, Jesus was the fun guy. I don't mean mold. I mean the fun guy. You know what I mean. Okay. Um, there's a silly kid joke, and I, always, I, I can't forget it, you know, and hopefully you can't either now. You just wreck your thoughts, too. Um, but I, I like this because God was working through both of them, but often we get this sobering sense that to truly serve God means that it's going to be very serious all the time and completely rigid and, and you know, lots and lots of rules. And, and there is a measure of truth that God speaking into our lives moves us in more precise fashion as we follow him. But it's unfair to say that he has no caring about joy in life, because that's just not true. And so in this situation, and the reason I bring this up, John the Baptist is raised in the same culture, same time, same setting, but he's called a Nazaritic vow, which means no alcohol, no raisins, no figs, no, nothing that can ferment. He lives a very rigid lifestyle in the Lord, called by God to do so, and Jesus is living on a, in another page, so to speak. They're accusing him of being a drunkard. I don't think that's true, but I think that he was drinking. That's, that's the conclusion I've come to. So you have two different callings in the same culture, same setting, same time. What I'm suggesting to you is that each of us has to come to a peace in the Lord as to what he's calling us to do. Now, what there's, there's two excesses that come out of this 
story in far as, as I see it. Um, you can, you know, you can write stuff off and just say, uh, no, 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 it, it didn't happen. Or you're going, okay, there's, there's alternatives here that are different than what I grew up with. That's what I came out of. My, my first 40 years were all in abstinence and abstaining, but we had lots of rules in my home. Uh, no cards, no smoking, no drinking, no movies, no Friday night football, no, you know, there were no dances. That's what I grew up in. And there was reason for all of that, actually. But it had been long forgotten by the time it got to me. All we, got, all we had was the rules at that point. And so then you start walking through things and you start having to make these evaluations for your own life because you question. And you're going, it's not good enough just because I said so. I've got I've to hear and understand this. The crazy part of it is I've landed on most of those rules for myself. But at uh, about the age of 40... I was in a church where a man says, how can you be a witness if you're not willing to go out and have a beer with the boys? He was completely serious. And it was so far the other extreme, I'm just kind of going, what? He says, well, how can you do this? How can you witness? And I had to come to my own peace when I went through the scripture and realized that wine, alcohol, strong drink, those terms, there's only two books in the Bible that don't include one of those, a term like that. So it's so much a part of their culture that it, you know, I, me, when I go after, there's 40 pages of Scripture that I'm looking at. And uh, I'm looking and going, okay, that's different than how I was raised, but what do I do now? Well, at 40, wine to me is, is rotten fruit, sorry. You know, and it didn't make any sense to try to change. And furthermore, it's completely acceptable within culture not to drink. But I, I couldn't present it with the same strength anymore, right? Now, I can tell you, don't get drunk. That's stupid. Okay? Uh, and I will continue to tell you that. And I treat getting high the same way, okay? You have a responsibility to control your actions. And if you're going to slip off, it's not an excuse to let go of yourself. You just aren't given that privilege. So you, you need to evaluate. And, and even like for when Shar and I got married, we, we made the decision not in our home largely because of some of our family heritage. It just said alcoholism runs so strong in our families. Why would we open the door to that? Um, and, and so we just made that choice. But again, what I'm looking at in light of these passages it's, and the knowledge of these two who are profoundly used by God, called by Him, in, in some of those powerful ways we see in Scripture, 
and yet having different lifestyles. I'm going, there's, there's something that each of us has to grapple with and sort out in the Lord. Now, the other excess, when you open the door with this, is that this was at a wedding, and that's not like an excuse for every weekend's a party, right? Or to even take it, you know, where in a culture, if you don't believe in the eternal, then everything's got to be experienced today. And so all the delicacies, that becomes exemplified and, and exalted. Why do you think there's so many cooking shows on right now? And why are microbreweries so, you know, the end thing? Everybody's about tasting and trying and, and experimenting. And I'm not saying that, <laughs> sorry, Landon, coffee's the same way. You know, it's, we all, <laughs> we all, we, you know, it's that fine-tuning, but it's a preoccupation with something that you eat to live. You don't live to eat. And so, you know, to get caught up in that as a culture is not healthy either, is what I'm saying. I think that's what Daniel walked through. You realize, you know, he, he stepped away from meats and, and delicacies of the king, you know, he and his friends in that, that first chapter. But later in the 10th chapter, he abstains from meat for a while. So what's it mean it, it, that... It wasn't like it was a lifelong decision, but maybe he was, I picked this up recently, I think it was out of World Magazine, somebody had drawn attention to this, and it was like, he was stepping away from the de delicacies of that lifestyle, so to speak, the preoccupation, fine-tuning all your appetites, just saying, this isn't that important to our lives. And so there is, a, you know, this thing where we have to come to a decision point when, when we walk through things like this and we say, yeah, maybe the door is open wider than what we grew up with. But that doesn't mean that it's just take off and every day is a party because of one that you see. This community is celebrating a wedding. You know, and, and, and so, you know, for that to say, well, that opens the door for everything. Nah, not really. I, I guess what I'm saying is there's excesses both ways, right? That you can get caught up in it and you're kind of going, in the Lord, I have to make some decisions here as to what He wants for my life. And He's willing to speak to me about such things. And that he's so personally involved that he, he's willing to make an investment in me and show me what's the right path. I still like the fact that he's the one that lands on the fun side simply because there's a tendency in us to God with the stick, God the rule maker, God the ogre, so to speak. So he sends his son and puts him <laughs> on the fun side and says, deal with this. Joy is a part of our life as well. In fact, if joy isn't a part of your life, you're missing something in God. 
fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. I mean, those three things are amazing. And if, if you aren't living in that, something's wrong. Philippians says that, he says, some become enemies of the cross, and he, he says they worship their stomachs. So that's, that's the extreme one way. The other side is seeing God as just the constant law and rule. Somewhere in the realm of personal relationship, God is willing to guide each of our lives. And it's wonderful. And the fact that he steps into a wedding and takes over and allows a celebration to continue, allows a family not to feel shame, allows uh, a wedding couple to remember their, their celebration week, so to speak, with great joy and wonder over what God had done. The fact that he's defining himself and saying, I have power over all things. The fact that he steps in for a mother, all of that speaks of the love of God and, and the joy that's available to us in him. What a wonderful privilege that is. I had one other thing I was going to dabble in, but I'm going to leave it alone. I'll, I'll hit that another time. Why don't you stand with me? I pray, Lord, that your love, joy, and peace would be a part of each life here. I pray that each one would experience forgiveness and release of shame and guilt. I pray that each would have enough confidence and trust in you to be able to look honestly before you and say, what would you desire in my life? And be able to make decisions that last for a lifetime even. I pray that in points of struggle and, and uh, decision making, that there'll be a clarity of thinking that says, this is what God has for me. Consistent with this scripture, and I will be obedient to it. Help us to trust you in all things, we pray.